Section 19 of The Idea of Progress by J. B. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15. The Search for a Law of Progress. 1. Saint-Simon. Amid the intellectual movements in France described in the last chapter, the idea of progress passed into a new phase of its growth. Hitherto it had been a vague optimistic doctrine which encouraged the idealism of reformers and revolutionaries, but could not guide them. It had waited like a handmaid on the abstractions of nature and reason. It had hardly realized an independent life. The time had come for systematic attempts to probe its meaning and definitely to ascertain the direction in which humanity is moving. Kant had said that a Kepler or a Newton was needed to find the law of the movement of civilization. Several Frenchmen now undertook to solve the problem. They did not solve it, but the new science of sociology was founded, and the idea of progress, which presided at its birth, has been its principal problem ever since. 1. The three thinkers who claimed to have discovered the secret of social development had also in view the practical object of remolding society on general scientific principles, and they became the founders of sects, Fourier, Saint-Simon, and Comte. They all announced a new era of development as a necessary sequel of the past, an inevitable and desirable stage in the march of humanity, and delineated its features. Comte was the successor of Saint-Simon, as Saint-Simon himself was the successor of Condorcet. Fourier stands quite apart. He claimed that he broke entirely new ground, and acknowledged no masters. He regarded himself as a Newton for whom no Kepler or Galileo had prepared the way. The most important and sanest part of his work was the scheme for organizing society on a new principle of industrial cooperation. His general theory of the universe and man's destinies which lay behind his practical plans is so fantastic that it sounds like the dream of a lunatic, yet many accepted it as the apocalypse of an evangelist. Fourier was moved by the far-reaching effects of Newton's discovery to seek a law which would coordinate facts in the moral world as the principle of gravitation had coordinated facts in the physical world, and in 1808 he claimed to have found the secret in what he called the law of passional attraction. Footnote. Théorie des quatre mouvements et des destinées générales. General accounts of his theories will be found in Charles Fourier, Sa vie et sa théorie, by his disciple Dr. Charles Pellerin, 2nd edition, 1843, and in Flint, History of Philosophy of History in France, etc., Pages 408, Sequentes. End of footnote. The human passions have hitherto been sources of misery. The problem for man is to make them sources of happiness. If we know the law which governs them, we can make such changes in our environment that none of the passions will need to be curbed, and the free indulgence of one will not hinder or compromise the satisfaction of the others. His worthless law for harmonizing the passions without restraining them need not detain us. The structure of society, by which he proposed to realize the benefits of his discovery, was based on cooperation, but was not socialistic. The family, as a social unit, was to be replaced by a larger unit, phalange, economically self-sufficing, and consisting of about 1,800 persons, who were to live together in a vast building, phalanstère, surrounded by a domain sufficient to produce all they required. Private property is not abolished. The community will include both rich and poor. All the products of their work are distributed in shares according to the labor, talents, and capital of each member, but a fixed minimum is assured to everyone. The scheme was actually tried on a small scale near the forest of Rambouillet in 1832. This transformation of society, 
which is to have the effect of introducing harmony among the passions, will mark the beginning of a new epoch. The duration of man's earthly career is 81,000 years, of which 5,000 have elapsed. He will now enter upon a long period of increasing harmony, which will be followed by an equal period of decline, like the way up and the way down of Heraclitus. His brief past, the age of his infancy, has been marked by a decline of happiness leading to the present age of civilization which is thoroughly bad. Here we see the influence of Rousseau. And from it Fourier's discovery is the clue to lead humanity forth into the epoch in which harmony begins to emerge. But men who have lived in the bad ages need not be pitied, and those who live today need not be pessimistic. For Fourier believed in metempsychosis, and could tell you, as if he were the private secretary of the deity calculating the arithmetical details of the cosmic plan, how many very happy, tolerably happy, and unhappy lives fall to the lot of each soul during the whole 81,000 years. Nor does the prospect end with the life of the earth. The soul of the earth and the human souls attached to it will live again in comets, planets, and suns on a system of which Fourier knew all the particulars. Footnote. Details will be found in the Théorie de l'Unité Universelle, originally published under the title Association Domestique Agricole in 1822. End of These silly speculations would not deserve even this slight indication of their purport were it not that Fourier founded a sect and had a considerable body of devoted followers. His discovery was acclaimed by Béranger. Quote, Fourier nous dit, sort de la fange, peuple en proie aux déceptions, travaille, groupé par phalange, dans un cercle d'attraction. La terre, après tant de désastres, forme avec le ciel un humain, et la loi qui régit les astres donne la paix au genre humain. Ten years after his death, 1837, an English writer tells us that, quote, the social theory of Fourier is at the present moment engrossing the attention and exciting the apprehensions of thinking men, not only in France, but in almost every country in Europe. Grotesque as was the theoretical background of his doctrines, he helped to familiarize the world with the idea of indefinite progress. 2. Quote, the imagination of poets has placed the golden age in the cradle of the human race. It was the age of iron they should have banished there. The golden age is not behind us, but in front of us. It is the perfection of social order. Our fathers have not seen it, our children will arrive there one day, and it is for us to clear the way for them. The Comte de Saint-Simon, who wrote these words in 1814, was one of the liberal nobles who had imbibed the ideas of the Voltairean age and sympathized with the spirit of the revolution. In his literary career from 1803 to his death in 1825, he passed through several phases of thought, but his chief masters were always Condorcet and the physiologists, from whom he derived his two guiding ideas that ethics and politics depend ultimately on physics and that history is progress. Condorcet had interpreted history by the progressive movement of knowledge. That, Saint-Simon said, is the true principle, but Condorcet applied it narrowly and committed two errors. He did not understand the social import of religion and he represented the Middle Ages as a useless interruption of the forward movement. Here, Saint-Simon learned from the religious reaction. He saw that religion has a natural and legitimate social role, and cannot be eliminated as a mere perversity. He expounded the doctrine that all social phenomena cohere. A religious system, he said, always corresponds to the stage of science which the society wherein it appears has reached. 
In fact, religion is merely science clothed in a form suitable to the emotional needs which it satisfies. And as a religious system is based on the contemporary phase of scientific development, so the political system of an epoch corresponds to the religious system. They all hang together. Medieval Europe does not represent a temporary triumph of obscurantism, useless and deplorable, but a valuable and necessary stage in human progress. It was a period in which an important principle of social organization was realized, the right relation of the spiritual and temporal powers. It is evident that these views transformed the theory of Condorcet into a more acceptable shape. So long as the medieval tract of time appeared to be an awkward episode, contributing nothing to the forward movement but rather thwarting and retarding it, progress was exposed to the criticism that it was an arbitrary synthesis, only partly borne out by historical facts and supplying no guarantees for the future. And so long as rationalists of the encyclopedic school regarded religion as a tiresome product of ignorance and deceit, the social philosophy which lay behind the theory of progress was condemned as unscientific, because, in defiance of the close cohesion of social phenomena, it refused to admit that religion, as one of the chief of those phenomena, must itself participate and cooperate in progress. Condorcet had suggested that the value of history lies in affording data for foreseeing the future. Saint-Simon raised this suggestion to a dogma. But prevision was impossible on Condorcet's unscientific method. In order to foretell, the law of the movement must be discovered, and Condorcet had not found or even sought a law. The eighteenth-century thinkers had left progress a mere hypothesis based on a very insufficient induction. Their successors sought to lift it to the rank of a scientific hypothesis, by discovering a social law as valid as the physical law of gravitation. This was the object both of Saint-Simon and of Comte. The law which Saint-Simon educed from history was that epochs of organization or construction, and epochs of criticism or revolution, succeed each other alternately. The medieval period was a time of organization, and was followed by a critical revolutionary period, which has now come to an end and must be succeeded by another epoch of organization. Having discovered the clue to the process, Saint-Simon is able to predict. As our knowledge of the universe has reached, or is reaching, a stage which is no longer conjectural but positive in all departments, society will be transformed accordingly. A new physicist religion will supersede Christianity and deism. Men of science will play the role of organizers which the clergy played in the Middle Ages. As the goal of the development is social happiness, and as the working classes form the majority, the first step towards the goal will be the amelioration of the lot of the working classes. This will be the principal problem of government in reorganizing society, and Saint-Simon's solution of the problem was socialism. He rejected the watchwords of liberalism, democracy, liberty, and equality, with as much disdain as Demestre and the reactionaries. The announcement of a future age of gold, which I quoted above, is taken from a pamphlet which he issued, in conjunction with his secretary, Augustin Thierry, the historian, after the fall of Napoleon. In it, he revived the idea of the Abbé de Saint-Pierre for the abolition of war, and proposed a new organization of Europe, more ambitious and utopian than the Abbé's League of States. At this moment, he saw in parliamentary government, which the restored Bourbons were establishing in France, a sovereign remedy for political disorder, and he imagined that if this political system were introduced in all the states of Europe, a long step would have been taken to the perpetuation of peace. If the old enemies, France and England, formed a close alliance, there would be little difficulty in creating ultimately a European state like the American Commonwealth, 
with a parliamentary government supreme over the state governments. Here is the germ of the idea of a parliament of man. 3. Saint-Simon, however, did not construct a definite system for the attainment of social perfection. He left it to disciples to develop the doctrine which he sketched. In the year of his death, 1825, Hollande Rodriguez and Enfantin founded a journal, the Producteur, to present to humanity the one thing which humanity, in the opinion of their master, then most needed, a new general doctrine. History shows that peoples have been moving from isolation to union, from war to peace, from antagonism to association. The program for the future is association scientifically organized. The Catholic Church in the Middle Ages offered the example of a great social organization resting on a general doctrine. The modern world must also be a social organization, but the general doctrine will be scientific, not religious. The spiritual power must reside not in priests but in savants, who will direct the progress of science and public education. Each member of the community will have his place and duties assigned to him. Society consists of three classes of workers, industrial workers, savants, and artists. A commission of eminent workers of each class will determine the place of every individual according to his capacities. Complete equality is absurd. Inequality, based on merit, is reasonable and necessary. It is a modern error to distrust state authority. A power directing national forces is requisite to propose great ideas and to make the innovations necessary for progress. Such an organization will promote progress in all domains, in science by cooperation, in industry by credit, and in art too, for artists will learn to express the ideas and sentiments of their own age. There are signs already of a tendency towards something of this kind. Its realization must be procured, not by revolution, but by gradual change. In the authoritarian character of the organization to which these apostles of progress wished to entrust the destinies of man, we may see the influence of the great theocrat and antagonist of progress, Joseph de Mestre. He taught them the necessity of a strong central power and the danger of liberty. But the fullest exposition of the Saint-Simonian doctrine of development was given by Bazar, one of the chief disciples a few years later. The human race is conceived as a collective being which unfolds its nature in the course of generations, according to a law, the law of progress, which may be called the physiological law of the human species, and was discovered by Saint-Simon. It consists in the alternation of organic and critical epochs. In an organic epoch, men discern a destination and harmonize all their energies to reach it. In a critical epoch, they are not conscious of a goal, and their efforts are dispersed and discordant. There was an organic period in Greece before the age of Socrates. It was succeeded by a critical epoch lasting to the barbarian invasions. Then came an organic period in the homogeneous societies of Europe from Charlemagne to the end of the 15th century, and a new critical period opened with Luther and has lasted till today. Now it is time to prepare the advent of the organic age which must necessarily follow. The most salient fact observable in history is the continual extension of the principle of association, in the series of family, city, nation, supranational church. The next term must be a still vaster association, comprehending the whole race. In consequence of the incompleteness of association, the exploitation of the weak by the strong has been a capital feature in human societies, but its successive forms exhibit a gradual mitigation. Cannibalism is followed by slavery, slavery by serfdom, and finally comes industrial exploitation by the capitalist. 
this latest form of the oppression of the weak depends on the right of property and the remedy is to transfer the right of inheriting the property of the individual from the family to the state the society of the future must be socialistic the new social doctrine must not only be diffused by education and legislation it must be sanctioned by a new religion christianity will not serve for christianity is founded on a dualism between matter and spirit and has laid a curse on matter the new religion must be monistic and its principles are briefly god is one god is all that is all is god he is universal love revealing itself as mind and matter and to this triad correspond the three domains of religion science and industry in combining their theory with a the philosophical religion the saint simonian school was not only true to its master's teaching but obeying an astute instinct as a purely secular movement for the transformation of society their doctrine would not have reaped the same success or inspired the same enthusiasm they were probably influenced too by the pamphlet of lessing to which madame de stal had invited attention and which one of saint simon's disciples translated the fortunes of the school the life of the community at menil montan under the direction of enfantin the persecution the heresies the dispersion the attempt to propagate the movement in egypt the philosophical activity of enfantin and lemonnier under the second empire do not claim our attention the curious story is told in m weil's admirable monograph the sect is now extinct but its influence was wide in its day and it propagated faith in progress as the key to history and the law of collective life footnote two able converts to the ideas of saint-simon seceded from the school at an early stage in consequence of enfantin's aberrations pierre leroux whom we shall meet again and p j b boucher who in eighteen thirty three published a thoughtful introduction à la science de l'histoire where history is defined as quote, a science whose end is to foresee the social future of the human species in the order of its free activity Close quote. end of footnote end of section nineteen